Uh, hope you had a good week and are ready for uh, another one around the corner. It is July, so welcome to July and uh, welcome to what we are in the midst of. Uh, as you can see behind me, we're in a series called Dear Church, and uh, what we're doing in this series, uh, we're looking at the seven churches to which you receive instruction from Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. This morning, we're kind of turning the corners. We move into Revelation chapter 3, if you want to make your way there in the Scriptures. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 is where we're going to be this morning, focusing on the church of Sardi. And as I mentioned in the past, just kind of a reminder, we're not saying that Harvest Hill is this church or not that church. What we're doing is we're seeing what Jesus says to His church, His universal church, giving them instructions, giving them commendations, giving them rebukes. So we can learn from them and what Jesus Christ wants us to be as a church, ultimately as His people. That's what a church is. It is a gathering of God's people whom God has called out of the world, so we in turn call out to the world. Um, you know, in the late 1980s, it was a Little League baseball season. So it was summertime, it was hot, and there was a boy who went up to the plate. And up to this season, he was... Really good at baseball, at least in his own mind. He felt he could throw the ball well, hit it well. Uh, he could move pretty quick for his size and his age. But this year, things changed. Whereas up to this season, this boy either hit the ball off of a tee or he was allowed a coach to throw the ball in at a speed at which he could hit it. And, and there's no fear of the coach hitting him with the ball. But this season... It changed because this season his friends were now the pitchers. And he watched from the dugout game after game as his own teammates would go up to the plate and either be walked or be hit with a pitch, which put fear in his heart every time he went up to that plate. And so he would just stand at the plate in fear, not able to swing the bat. And as a batter, that is the worst thing possible because you're supposed to swing the bat and hit the ball. Well, during the season, the boy would get on the play on base every now and then, either from a walk or because he couldn't get out of the way quick enough. Um, but he knew that he was not being the baseball player that he should be. So as it came game time, the coach had a plan for this boy that was gripped in fear. He told him the week leading up to this game, said, look, I don't care if you hit the ball. I don't care if you miss it completely. I don't care if it's not even close to the plate, just swing. So the boy got some confidence. He's like, okay, I'm going to do it. He, he gets up to the plate. He, he gets in the batter's box. He can fear, feel the fear starting to well up. He can feel himself starting to shake as he watches a fellow uh, individual in his own grade get ready to wind up to throw a ball in his direction in which he is supposed to stand there and allow it to come at him. But he said, I'm just going to swing. So he, get up, he gets up to the plate, and the pitcher throws the ball, and he swings. The ball wasn't even close. It was a mile over his head, but he swung. And, and the boy steps back, and he was excited. He actually swung the bat for the first time, and his coach, even though it was a strike, and the umpire yelled, strike, and everybody heard it. The coach, yeah, good job, good job. All right, just swing. So he gets back up. He's got one strike on him, gets in the batter's box, he, he, he did in a little more confidence. He knows he now can swing the bat. He knows it's not impossible. So he puts his feet into the dirt. He starts to rub his hands, and here comes the pitch, and he 
glares his eyes and he swings. He hears that beautiful sound of an aluminum bat hitting the baseball. You all know the sound. Ding. Foul ball. The umpire yells. Boy steps back. He has two strikes. He knows how baseball works. Little disappointed, but at the same time excited. Not only could he swing, he now knew he could hit this thing. Two strikes, he looks down the third base line to his coach, and his coach gives him the swing away sign. Boy gets back up in the plate. He said, all right, just swing, just swing, just swing. Digs his feet a little bit deeper into the dirt. Gets his knuckles a little bit wider on that bat. Pitcher winds up, and he throws it, and the boy just swings for all his might, and he hears that beautiful sound. What is it? <laughs> Ding. This time he doesn't hear foul ball. This time, all he hears is, run! <laughs> so like any boy his age, he throws the bat. He takes off towards first. The coach on first base is just pointing to second. So the boy hits first and rounds second. He can hear his coaches yelling, keep coming, keep coming. So he hits second and rounds. He's going to third. And as he's eyeing third base, running down the line, he sees his coach at third doing this sign, which means to go home. So the boy hits third base and he runs home. But just, you know, just that boy curiosity, he has to know where the ball is. He has to know what is going on. So he looks out. And he sees that the right fielder is just now picking the ball up to throw it in. In his head, he can't believe it. The very first time he swung and hit a ball, this season was going to be an in-the-field home run. He, couldn't, he, he came and he went across home plate and he was excited. His team cheered. He could hear his parents celebrating. His coach came up and gave him a high five and a that-a-boy pat. You know what those are right? That a boy. He goes in and he starts sharing with his team the accolades of what just happened, how he just hit a home run and they were all excited and this was going to change the season forever. And as I sat there and talked, he noticed that the umpire was not allowing his teammates to get into the batter's box for some reason and maybe someone got hurt so he looks out and he doesn't see anybody laying on the field or any parents rushing out to pick up their child and Curious what happens, he notices his coach coming from third base over to the dugout and say, hey, very calmly get up, walk over to home plate and touch it. He didn't touch home plate. Boy's heart dropped. He gets up and he starts making way to home plate, but the pitcher must have had some idea what was going on as well, so he darts at the boy and tags him with the glove, and the umpire yells, Out! boy thought he had a home run, now just finished the inning with a third out. It was what coulda, woulda, shoulda. This boy's dreams of becoming a baseball player eventually were evaporated as every season from then on he would be gripped with fear and couldn't swing a bat. Eventually he would become the pastor in Stratford, Missouri at Harvest Hill Baptist Church. <laughs> That's not the reason I quit baseball, but... Uh, it does help if you can swing a bat when they pitch at you. But it's that feeling sometimes we feel something glorious has happened to only be let down in, in disappointment. The feeling of having arrived at something that had happened that we had dreamed to happen and realizing it didn't. This is the church of Sardi. It is the church of coulda, woulda, shoulda. 
It's a church that when we read through it, we will see that it appears to be an exciting church. It has a reputation of being alive to all who look on it. But in the eyes of God, the church of Sardi is far from that. If you have your Bibles with you, we'll be in Revelation chapter 3 and reading through verse 6, beginning in verse 1. And the word of the Lord says, As the angel of the church in Sardi write the words of him, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it. Repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardi, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Jumping up to verse 1 of chapter 3, we, we see this same format we've seen with every church, and we're going to see for the next two weeks when we begin to wrap up this series, in the introduction of Christ's authority. Verse 1 says, The angel of the church in Sardi write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And it's to take us back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, where the apostle Paul again sees Jesus Christ in all of his glory and all of his splendor being worshipped by the angels in the throne room of heaven. And it says there that uh, the seven churches in Asia grace to you and peace from you and from, or from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before His throne. This phrase, seven spirits, not only appears here in Revelation chapter 1, and given in Revelation chapter 3, but only two other times in the book of Revelation. So you want me to get a little bit deeper? Here we go. Chapter 4 and 5, as far as we're going. Um, chapter 5, verse 6, it says, From between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. Lamb is representation of Jesus Christ as though it had been slain, because he is no longer dead, but he is alive. And with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Because this phrase, seven spirits, is, is in the throne room of God. It's in the presence of God. And here we find that the Lamb is with the seven horns and the seven eyes, meaning they are connected. Here's what we can understand and what Scripture is trying to tell us concerning these seven spirits. is that the seven spirits is the Holy Spirit. And it's His perfect communion and connection before the throne room of God to which God sends out from His throne to make His ways known and to come into the church so that the work may be empowered to do the work of God. So this is what we are as a church. It's not just Sunday morning. It's not just 11 o'clock in case you're wondering what time it is. The church is the outpouring of God's power. It's the outpouring of God's message from God's people into this world. The stars to which the church, this letter is written to, are the angel, referring to the seven spirits and the seven stars, referred to the angels, the messengers, the leaders of the church, the elders of the church. But what does it mean pertaining to the message that's given to this church in Sardi? Well, understand the message, we should understand a little bit about the city of Sardi. Sardi was a very luxurious city. 
It had wealth. It had entertainment. It had people living uh, in, in, in luxury. And this city itself was a city that was constantly invaded by foreign nations trying to, to take the wealth of the city and trying to take the prosperity of the city into their own. But Rome continued to have it. And here's this church in the midst of all this wealth and all this power and all this luxury that appears, appears to be active. It appears to be vibrant. It appears to be lively. Yet Jesus comes to this church in verse 1 and says, look, I know your works. I know your deeds. I know what you've been doing. Jesus is giving a wake-up call. He says, you have a reputation. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. The church of Sardis had this persona that they were alive, and people looked upon this church, and, and I imagine if it was our day and age, they looked upon this church and said, that's the church we want to be. That's what we want to be like. We need to mimic that. They appear to be vibrant and active and lively. And yet Jesus says, you are dead. He comes to this church and to this gathering of people and pronounces a church that is perceived to be flourishing pronounces that it is fact dead. A church that is perceived to have life was lifeless. A church that perceived to have action was inactive. And a church that it was appeared to be spiritually vibrant and living was in fact spiritually dead. See, the church of Sardis was believed to be something that it wasn't. When a church is alive like anything else, it, it produces growth and power and it reproduces itself. But the church of Sardi had none of that going on. It was eye candy. It looked good. It probably tasted good. It maybe even sounded good. But nothing was producing life. Jesus says that he comes to this church and says, look, I, I know what others perceive you as, but you need to know how I know you as. See, it doesn't matter what we put off to other people. We can put ourselves off as Christians. We can put ourselves off as righteous, as holy. We can put ourselves off as, as being in the Word of God and living the Word of God. We can give ourselves titles and names. We can dress the part. And we can fool everyone around us. But Jesus comes to this church and says, look, you may have them all fooled, but you need to know this. I am not. And I imagine the people in this church even had themselves fooled, that they were doing it right. But what we've got to understand is when we define ourselves by the word, we fail to define ourselves by the word. The, when we define ourselves by the world, we fail to define ourselves by the word. And so the word of God comes to him and comes to this church and says, look, I know what's going on. I know that you are a church of appearances. You appear to have it all together. You appear to be doing the right thing. You appear, you appear, but I know what's really going on. And a couple of lessons we can take from this church right off the bat is it doesn't matter what others think about us, whether good or bad. It only matters what God knows about us. It doesn't even matter how other people may define us. It matters how God defines us through his word. Because we can pretend to be whatever we want before men, but it doesn't matter when we come before the Father and He brings out His Word and says, look, I know you through the lens of truth. And so the charge of this church in Sardis is that they are to wake up. That word wake up means they are to become alert. They are to become uh, 
uh, awakened to what is going on because the church itself had become careless. They become inattentive to their spiritual selves, to their spiritual life and their spiritual journey. And I wonder this morning, as, I, as I'm focused on this this week, that question penetrates my heart. Lord, have I become careless to my relationship with you? Have I become inattentive to what I should be doing in this relationship with you? The charge of the church and the charge to us this morning is that we've got to snap out of our complacency and our comfortability in spirituality. It's to wake up. The time is now, and Jesus brings a very, very clear threat to this church that if you do not wake up, if you do not snap out of this complacency, if you do not snap out of being comfortable, if you do not snap out of just putting on appearances, I'm going to come like a thief in the night night against you, and you're not going to know when it's going to happen. You're going to be so attached to this world that you're not going to be able to see the world through my word, and when I show up, you're not going to know what happened. You'll be in such a spiritual slumber, you'll be blind. And so he says, wake up. You may have everyone around you fooled, but you cannot fool me. Man, what a a hit. I can have those closest to me in my life, those closest to me in my job. I can have my kids fooled. I can have family fooled. I can have my Facebook account full, my Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter. I can have all those people full, but I will not fool God where I am spiritually with Him. Church of Sardi had to wake up to this. And that's the question this morning. Does that describe our life? Have we been living to try to fool everyone else into something we really aren't? got this reputation but in fact Jesus comes to us and the spirit speaks to us in this moment and you've got this reputation but you're dead you're dead you're not awake you're not alive the church of Sardi whether or not they responded we don't know because the city and church no longer stands but the beauty of this church and the beauty of this moment as God hits me with this and, and, and just feeling spirit hitting us is hear what Jesus says. He calls them the hope in verse 2 and 3. He says, even though you're dead, wake up. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent it. Jesus doesn't come to this church that is by name only, by reputation only. He doesn't come to this church and say, look, all right, you're you're dead, but here, let me give you a three-step plan on how to get back to alive. He doesn't say, hey, read this book about the purpose of your life or the purpose of church. Read this book on how you can have the best Friday or every day of Friday. He doesn't come and give some plan or or, or some strategy. He says, look, this is what you need to do to wake up. This is what you need to do to get out of your spiritual slump. This is what you need to do to become alert and no longer complacent and comfortable. You need to simply wake up and remember what you have. Strengthen what is there. Anybody here a morning person? 
proud to say it? Proud? Yeah. If you're a morning person, here's how morning starts. Kevin, you raise your hand. So do you set an alarm? No? Well, I'm not there yet. I don't have that much faith in myself. I set an alarm every morning, but the truth is I wake up before the alarm, and I'm, so I'm heading probably where you are right now. I'm heading in that direction. So I'll have my alarm set, but I always wake up 10, 15, sometimes 30 minutes before it's supposed to go off. And I'll, as a morning person, I'm like, close enough. If you're not a morning person and you see you got 10, 15, 30 minutes left before the alarm goes off, you're like, oh, thank goodness. And you're like, your first thankful act of worship in the morning, right? I mean, praise you, Lord, 30 more minutes. I'm just ready to go. And so for some of us, this call to wake up, if we're in the spiritual slumber and we're just kind of comfortable with our relationship with God, some of us, it's just a very gentle nudge because we're a morning person. We're, it's, hey, it's time to wake up. It's time to get going. But some of us here spiritually are more like teenagers during the school year where you got to go and you say, hey, it's time to wake up. And then 10 minutes later, what are you doing, mom and dad? It's time to wake up. And then 10 minutes later, it's time to go. I'm already dressed. You know, we, we go through this. And so we have to do what? It is time to wake up because we have to go. Why? Because time is of the essence. This is kind of the cry Jesus is giving Sardi. Look, I am coming. So it's time to stop playing a game. It's time to stop going through the motions because I am coming. Time is of the essence. But we also have night owls here, and since there's only like three morning people, I guess the rest of us are night owls. So God bless you for making the church at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Um, but night owls are the worst. I'm married to one. You're not the worst, sweetie. Love you. Um, <laughs> night owls can be the worst when it's time to get up and get going because you go and you say, hey, it's whatever. It's 8 o'clock. It's time to get going. Uh, you got to come back and you got to shake them. And sometimes you literally got to drag them out of bed or you got to pull the blankets. Ever have to pull the blankets off somebody? It's time to move, people. This is the call of urgency to which we are given as a church and God's people. Like Jesus says, look, it is time to wake up. It is time to stop pretending. Some of us, it's this gentle thing. Hey, it's time to go. Some of us, we need Jesus to come and just to punch us right in the gut, to stomp on our feet, to yell in our ear. It's time to move because time is of the essence. I am coming. I am coming. And the people all around you that are blinded by this world of luxury, blinded by this world of wealth, blinded by whatever the world can give them, they, they are lost. And you, you are here to make a difference in their life. I am coming. Snap out of it. Wake up. But he doesn't say, and do this. And I think a lot of times that, that's where we can be when we hear Jesus Christ telling us it's time to wake up spiritually. It's like, okay, okay, I, I need to get my act together as a Christian, as a believer, so what should I do? Okay, I need to pray some more. I, I need to read God's Word some more. I should probably go to church, you know, almost every Sunday. I, 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 should, I probably should give, you know, that, that time. They always pass that offering plate every Sunday. I should probably put something in that for once. I should probably do that. Um, and I heard about Bible studies and small groups. I should probably get one of those, and, and I should probably become more active. So next time he says that we've got a ministry coming up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign up for that. I'm going to get involved in that. And, and you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself ready. I'm, I'm only going to listen to Christian music now, okay? 
Because all that other stuff, that's a, the devil. And, and I'm only going to watch Christian movies now. And, and, and anytime I see something on TV that, that is on a show, even if I used to like that show, but it, it is not good, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm going I'm, I'm to just walk away from it. No longer on my DVR, because my DVR is Christian now. It's saved, okay? And, and my radio is saved, and I'm only going to wear Christian shirts and have Christian necklaces, and I'm going to say hallelujah a few more times because that's what good Christians do. And so what we do, and that's, that's, I know that's a little far stretched. What we do, we start making these checklists of things. Okay, I, I, need to, I really need to get more invested in this relationship. So I start making these checklists of all these spiritual things, these religious things that I should do. And I forget to do the one thing Jesus tells this church to do that is actually spiritually asleep is that you need to wake up and strengthen what remains and remember what you have received and heard. Jesus doesn't say, here's your five-step, ten-step plan. Here's all the things you should do. He says, look, you need to focus on the basics of your salvation. You need to go back to that place where you remembered, I'm a sinner before a holy God. I don't deserve mercy. I don't deserve grace. I deserve hell. Yet God loved me. He saved me by Jesus Christ. And I didn't fully understand the Christology of that or the eschatology of all that or the doctrine and theology of all that. All I understood is that if I accepted this, I could be saved. I could be a child of God. And I'm going to heaven. And in that moment, I had a childlike faith that anything is possible and God wants to do something through me that it's incredible. And I didn't break it down into a plan of, okay, this is how God can do it and when God can do it. I just said, okay, God, I'm in. I want to be saved. I want to be baptized. I want to be forgiven. This is what Jesus calls the church back to. Is that childlike faith well, we ran down the aisle, we walked down the aisle with a huge smile on our face because we knew this was incredible. What was about to happen shouldn't be happening, but it is. He says, remember this. Strengthen this. Focus on this. Keep this. And then repent. Repent. Because you've moved away from this. Jesus tells this church that appears to have it all together. It's not about more. It's about coming to the floor. It's about understanding who you are without grace and mercy and who you are without Christ and humbling yourself before a holy God. I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. And taking that message to the world. It's not about my self-righteousness. It's not about my spiritual checklist. It's about the righteousness that God has gifted me, not by anything I've ever done or ever could do. It's by His grace and His mercy and His love, His, His faithfulness to His Word. This church is already, when Jesus comes to him and says, Verse 4, you have still a few names or individuals. There are still a few people in this church. They haven't soiled their garments. And they'll walk with me and wife for they're worthy. That word soil their garments means to be defiled. 
It means to be spotted with flesh. In other words, Jesus says you have a few people, you have a few individuals in your church right now that have not been defiled, have, have not been corrupted by sin, have not been corrupted by the sinful nature. Jesus comes to this church that was basically a man-made church, which was making it lifeless and powerless, and he's calling this church to instead be God-made, making it life-giving and powerful. He's telling this church to stop acting and just start being, start doing. Start, stop putting on a show and just continue to fall in love with the God who loves you. Because he knows. So your garments, they're stained by the flesh. And this is where the church of Sardi was. The church of Sardi was a flesh-based church. Not a faith-based church. They could put on an incredible worship service. I imagine if they were the church today, they would have a multi-million dollar campus. They would have like an... Uh, and very entertaining and energetic worship band, and they would have a preacher that would tell funny jokes from his childhood. Ha <laughs> ha. They, they would have ministries and church calendars full, and, and when you showed up, you knew exactly where your child should go and, and who would be with them. They would have everything in place because they would know how to do church. They would have every worship member stand exactly where they were supposed to stand because they would know how to do worship. They would know when a worship time should start. They would put prayer time on their calendar because they would know when they were supposed to pray. And Jesus says, you know what? Stop being a self-made, man-made church. Stop being a church of the flesh and be a church of faith. Stop trying to lead this church and why don't you just follow God and allow Him to lead you to where you want, wants you to be. And that's the thing, same thing goes for our life. Let's stop putting God on a schedule and on a calendar in our planner. Let's stop saying, okay, God, this is when I worship and this is when worship should be done. This is when I do Bible study and this is when Bible study's done. This is when I pray and this is when prayer should be done. Let's stop putting God on a schedule and let's just trust God knows what he's doing and knows how much time he wants with us every Sunday and every single day. Let's stop being a flesh-based believer and be a faith-based believer so that we can remember and we can stand and hold fast to what we've already gotten. Stop trying to do it ourselves. And this is a huge temptation for me as a pastor. And, and it, this, this thing's horrible sometimes. Because I, I, I sit and I plan and I pray and I prep and I, and, and I can get so focused on what I've typed up and not just say, okay, God, you just do what you want to do with your people. Let's just trust him. Let's just let go and we're going to trust you, God. You have a plan and it is good and we're going to trust you. And no matter what the world thinks, we're going to trust you. No matter if it, if it puts some people off, we're going to trust you and we're going to stand for you. No matter if it's not entertaining or doesn't fit in some people's schedules, we don't care. We're going to trust you. We're going to be a church for you. <coughs> Warren Wearsby writes in his commentary that the church of Sardi had a reputation without reality. They had form without force. 
They glorified in their past splendor, but they ignored their present decay. They were a decent people, but they had a dying witness and a decaying ministry. Jesus tells this church, in this situation, this is the grace of God. In this situation, he tells this church, hey guys, let's just wake up. Let's just wake up. You know what what it is. You know what this is. You know what salvation is. Let's just wake up. And when you wake up, you're going to be clothed, verse 5, in white garments. And I will never blot your name out of my book of life. And I will confess your name before my Father and before His angels. The warning to this church and the warning to us this morning is this. When we get comfortable and content in our holiness and pursuit of God, we will only find ourselves slowly dying. Hear that again. When we get comfortable and content in our holiness and pursuit of God, we will only find ourselves slowly dying. And what does comfortable and content look like in the Christian life? I'm good. I'm doing better than so-and-so. You know, we bring out our checklist. You know, well, I went to church this week. What else do you want? I put money in the plate. What else do you want? God wants us. He wants us. He wants us to fall madly in love with Him the way He's already madly in love with us. I love this gentleman. If you're looking for some summer reading, let me give you two books. Uh, His name is A.W. Tozer. He has two books I would highly recommend if you want to start with any. One's called The Pursuit of God, and he has a prequel, a sequel. I can't quite figure out which it is, but the other one's called God's Pursuit of Man. And A.W. Tozer writes, In the pursuit of God, the complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. And in the prequel, sequel, whichever, in God's pursuit of man, he goes on to write, The man who would know God must give him time. The man or woman who would know God must give him time. The question this morning is, how is your personal relationship with God? Is it by reputation only? Is it by name only? Is it just do, make sure you do all the Christian things? Because it is so easy for us as sinful individuals to turn a relationship with God into a religion with God. What we have to do instead of what God's already done. How's your relationship with God? Perhaps you're here this morning and you need to make the psalmist your prayer. Psalm 51.12, the Bible says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Going back to my baseball career, you know, by all, all appearances, I deserved that home run. By all appearances, I should have beat Tristan yesterday on the golf course, but it didn't happen either. So. Right, Jason? This is one amen today. Come on. I put the uniform on. I went to practice, 
I had a bat. I had a glove. I knew how to throw a ball. I knew the rules of the game. When I got up to the plate, I swung the bat, and I hit the ball. <laughs> it's a miracle in itself. Ran all the bases on a blessed summer night, which some of you parents are in the joy of that right now, right? But in order for a run to count, you have to touch home plate. That's the rule of baseball, right, Brian? You're my baseball fanatic, right? You've got to touch home plate for the run to count. You may be here today and done all the things you should be doing, but missed the most important detail. God calls you into a relationship, not a spiritual checklist. What a sad discovery it would be if we're here on this morning, July 1st, 2018, and God of the heavens from His throne room by the power of His Spirit is crying out to your heart right now to wake up. And we just roll back over. I may have deserved that run. I may have deserved the fanfare. But the reality is I lost focus at the very end. I ran over home plate. Maybe we're here this morning and that's where we are. We've, we've done all this stuff and we've seen God do some incredible things. But we're at a point in our life where we've, we've just lost focus of what we should be focusing on. Maybe you're in that spiritual slumber and you're trying to get out and trying to do all the right things. And the reality is Jesus Christ calls out from heavens, look, just return to me. Remember what you already have. Focus on that. Because when I focus on that, I focus on Jesus. And I focus on Jesus, I focus on God's love for me. And I focus on the spirit that's inside of me. Focus on that. Maybe you're here this morning. You've got everyone else fooled. You've got everybody fooled. But God has brought it to you, your attention that He's not. He knows exactly where you are with Him. And you've been a Christian by reputation only, but you are, in fact, still dead in your sins. And the God of love and the God of grace and the God of mercy is calling out to you in this moment to wake up And understand how simple it really is. Mesh Jackson to come on up. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners before a holy God. We, we all miss God's standard. No matter how good of a person we are, no matter how right we get things, we still mess up and we still sin. The Bible says because of that, our sin is death. It is a separation from the God of the living. But because God loves you and He loves me, He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins and your sins and everybody's sins so they could be forgiven. And the Bible says all I have to do, this is, this is a ridiculous plan, but all I have to do is believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and confess with my mouth that God raised Him from the dead and I'll be saved. So I admit to God, God, I need Jesus Christ. I need your son to die for my sins. I admit I'm a sinner. And I believe you love me that much for some reason. Now, I don't know why. 
But you love me that much. And I believe he died for my sins, but he rose again that I could be forgiven. And you're here on July 1st, 2018, in this moment, claiming to God, I'm not going to be reputation only. I'm going to be yours and yours alone. And I'm going to confess that you are my Savior and my God. I'm going to be saved. I'm going to completely rely upon you. I don't know where you are this morning, but if you're like me, man, the church of reputation just really kind of hit me. Am I just going to be a, a preacher or father? A guy of reputation? Or am I actually going to be the real thing? Now's the time to respond. Actually, stand. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us so much that you come to us like a a parent as a father saying, child, wake up. Wake up. So Lord, I pray that you revive us again. You awaken us. Lord, you know we go through valleys. Your word says it's going to happen, that we are going to go through valleys. But you are right there with us, protecting us and guiding us and disciplining us. Father, forgive us your children if we've made this relationship with you something that is never intended to be and bring us back to the joy of the salvation you've given us. Father, wake us up. I pray for those individuals here this morning that know that they aren't actually saved. They've done all the things they think they should do. They've checked off everything off their list, and that's how they can claim their salvation. Well, I walked an aisle. I prayed a prayer. I I was baptized. But, Lord, they know right now in this moment because your spirit is, is grabbing a hold of their heart that they are not actually saved. They're not your children. You cry to them to wake up. Open their eyes. Father, continue to wake us up. Continue to open our eyes to you. Help us to keep our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we might be a people of faith and a church of faith. We're pursuing you and following you. To you alone, receive praise and glory in this moment. And Lord, let your kingdom come and will be done as we come this time of response. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.